Welcome to Season 9 of American Political History, Wars Within Wars, French Canada. France started its North American colonies earlier than England. Port Royal in Acadia was established in 1605, Quebec in 1608. In 1611, the temporary fur trading post of Montreal. But growth between the French and English colonies would quickly diverge. France was an absolute monarchy, where royal permission was necessary for everything, even to the point of settling a parcel of land thousands of miles away from Paris. Like the Dutch, the French crown viewed its American colonies as an economic tool to profit from the fur trade. France was also using its undesirable populations to fill out its ranks of its army in the Thirty Years' War in Europe. In contrast, English colonies were haphazardly started, with refugees, exiles, orphans, and prisoners. But those exiles, interested in building communities which rapidly expanded, hungry for territory to establish new settlements as their populations exploded. Compounding this, the English crown would continually demand that their colonies be self-sufficient and return revenue to the royal purse, even though they rarely did. The French would expand by investing fur trading posts along the Richelieu River and banks of Lake Champlain. In a clumsy diplomatic move, they would build the forts and territory that offended the Mohawk and engage Canada in hostilities with the powerful Iroquois League. In the 1680s, when war between the Iroquois and French Canada broke out, the French crown ordered that the colony immediately make peace on any remotely reasonable terms to ensure that the fur trade resumed. These economic incentives began to change the very population of the colonies. English colonies were growing a middle class of skilled laborers which were beginning to fuel their own local economy's growth. In Canada, any business still required the crown's permission, which stifled any type of economic growth outside of the fur trade. By 1700, the population of the English colonies was around 200,000, while the French population in Canada was no more than 13,000. With a limited population and without a strong and growing economy, Canada focused on building a network of relationships with the native nations around them. It became especially important after they had offended the Iroquois. The nations that French Canada befriended were the Abenaki in Maine, the Montagni and Micmac in present-day Nova Scotia, and to the west of Quebec it was the Ottawa, Chippewa, Potawatomi, Miami, Sauk, and Fox Nations. These Algonquian nations feared sharing the same fate that ended the Susquehanna and Lenape, being pinned between English territorial expansion and Iroquois conquest. They looked to join with Canada to form a mutual defense which had the potential to fend off either the Iroquois or the English colonies. It wasn't until 1683 when Colonel Thomas Dungan became governor of New York that an English colonial official responded politically to the growing French and Native alliance. When the Iroquois went to war with the Illinois Confederacy, which was a French ally, Governor Dongan offered the Iroquois League the full support of New York, if they would accept being under the dominion of the King of England. When they accepted, Governor Dongan informed Governor Deaninville of Canada that he was attacking subjects of the English crown. Startled by this claim, Governor Deaninville chose to simply ignore it, calling Governor Dongan's bluff. After all, the King of England was not going to go to war with France over some natives in North America. In August of 1692, the Abenaki raided and destroyed the English trading posts at Pemaquaid, present-day Bristol, Maine. New England totally failed to even respond. The English world was politically paralyzed by the events of the Glorious Revolution. But when King William took the throne, he declared war against France, 
and entered what would become known in Europe as the War of the League of Osberg. This war would eventually become known as the start of the Hundred Years' War, a set of European wars which eventually would end, 125 years later, at the Battle of Waterloo. In colonial America, it would become known as King William's War, as the general feeling was that this war was dictated to them by the crown. In July of 1698, the Iroquois struck deep into French Canada, destroying a small town of Le Prairie six miles from Montreal. And in their typical war customs, the Iroquois publicly tortured and killed their captives. This shocked the French, who were reminded by their Algonquin allies. You have decided to engage in warfare with the Iroquois. Such things are to be expected. In reaction to this Iroquois attack, Governor Denonville withdrew his forces from the most distant fur trading posts to consolidate his strength around Montreal. King Louis XIV viewed this retreat with disgust. He recalled his governor from Canada. King Louis then appointed Brigadier General Frontenac as governor of Canada. Frontenac was a professional soldier who had achieved the rank of Brigadier General at the age of 26. If you're thinking that it's an odd turn of events that the King of France, who had paid little attention to Canada, suddenly appointed such an accomplished military man as governor, your suspicions would be correct. The rumor in Paris was that the king had posted Frontenac to the distant Canadian colony as punishment for convorting with one of his favorite mistresses. Governor Frontenac had received orders from the French king to make haste and capture the colony of New York at once. The king's orders likely stemmed from a lust to control the entire fur trade around the Great Lakes region, not any particular strategic or geographic knowledge of North America. When Governor Frontenac arrived in Quebec, in October of 1689, he made one assessment of the current conditions and decided that an invasion of New York was preposterous. Such an attack would have passed past Iroquois territory and deep into English territory, which would have left the entirety of Canada exposed to counterattack, let alone the extraordinary difficulty of maintaining a supply line from Quebec to New York. Governor Frontenac decided that the proper strategic response would be a strong show of force against the Iroquois, which might convince them to second-guess attacking Canada or decide to pull out of the war entirely. Governor Frontenac also gave his nod of support to the Abenaki to begin conducting their own raids around Albany, New Hampshire, and Maine. Albany was not sitting idly by after the attack on Pemaquade. Their first priority was to shore up their alliance with the Iroquois by sending gifts and representatives to discuss cooperation in attacking the French and her Algonquian allies. The political situation in 1689 was that Albany had claimed the right of self-governance from New York. The New York colonial government linked any support of Albany with agreement that New York City Authority overruled Albany. When Albany asked the neighboring colonies to send support against the Abenaki, Connecticut would send 87 militia, mostly to taunt New York. A French expedition of 200 militia and 200 Algonquian allies scouted out Albany that winter. They decided that Albany itself was too heavily fortified. A few days later, on February 20, 1690, the French expedition struck the frontier post of Schenectady. Even though the inhabitants were well aware of the declaration of war between England and France months earlier, no guards were on duty, so the French were able to slip past the stockades and log pickets, beginning their attack on the sleeping town by indiscriminately firing on the inhabitants, killing 60 and capturing 37 before setting fire to the town. The Mohawk, who were conducting peace talks with Canada, 
were enraged by the treachery of the French for attacking their ally during peace talks. They immediately set off to counterattack the French expedition, killing six before the French were able to return to their nearest fortifications. But the attack on Schenectady had finally broke the standoff between Albany and New York City. Albany requested aid and received 160 New York militia, but they had conceded their authority to New York City courts, ending any idea of Albany being an independent colony from New York. Governor Lester of New York would call for a conference of colonial leadership to assemble in two months to discuss the coordination and defense against the French. But the French were not on the English's timetable. They struck again with an expedition of 50 French and 50 native allies at Salmon Falls, New Hampshire, killing 34. And the colonial conference, when it arrived, was a flop. Even though two colonies had already been attacked by the French, individual colonial leaders were reluctant to coordinate defenses, for fear that incoordination would result in the loss of political authority over their own colonies. Everyone feared a return to the Dominion of New England. So Massachusetts decided to independently attack Port Royal Acadia, modern Annapolis Royal in Nova Scotia. The expedition consisted of 14 ships and 700 militia, captained by Sir William Phipps. It sailed in May of 1690. When the expedition arrived at Port Royal, the French captain of the settlement's small garrison requested to negotiate surrender to Sir William Phipps. The captain had hoped to set terms that would avoid pillaging the town. A few weeks after the surrender, Sir William Phipps decided that the town's inhabitants had not kept the terms and forced them all to take the oath of allegiance to King William. He then sailed back with his expedition to Boston, returning as a hero. A few weeks after the English expedition left, pirates would arrive and thoroughly plunder Port Royal. While Massachusetts' expedition was attacking Port Royal, the French would strike for a third time at a settlement in Cassio, present-day Falmouth, New Hampshire. They killed 20 before the survivors could retreat to the nearby Fort Loyal, located in present-day Portland, Maine. When the French expedition surrounded the fort, Captain Davis sent a message to the French commander stating that he would surrender the fort if the fort's occupants were given good quarter and liberty to travel to the next English settlement. After the French officers accepted these terms and the gates opened, the Algonquian warriors killed over 100 inhabitants, saving only three militia officers who they planned to ransom for money later. After the war, the French would give the English the lame excuse that the inhabitants of the fort, who were English settlers, had rebelled against their true king, King James II, who was living in France, therefore they had been justifiably punished with death for the crime of treason. Governor Lester called for a Continental Defense Conference once again in April of 1691. This would be the first voluntary Continental Congress. In attendance was representatives from Massachusetts, Plymouth, Connecticut, and New York. Maryland sent a letter offering 100 militia for any joint military expedition against the French. Rhode Island sent a promissory note. Pennsylvania was without a governor and did not reply. And Virginia took no part in communicating with the illegitimate governor of New York. The newly appointed lieutenant governor of Virginia had been ousted by New York's Governor Lester. This Congress agreed to raise a joint expedition force for a united attack on Canada. New York was to provide 400 militia, Connecticut 135, Massachusetts 160, Plymouth 60, Maryland 100 per the letter, and Governor Lester said that the Iroquois had promised they could provide 800 warriors. This expedition was agreed to by the delegates who had no power. Upon hearing of the agreement, the colonial assemblies immediately proceeded to bicker about it. 
The New York Assembly protested that Massachusetts has twice the population of New York, yet has pledged less than half of what New York has. Massachusetts fired back, We have already used 700 of our own to take Port Royal out of the war. What has New York even accomplished? Then they would argue over who was to be appointed to lead the expedition. Governor Lester, having taken his position illegitimately during the Glorious Revolution, wasn't able to leave New York City without losing political control, so he proposed his personal friend, who lacked any military experience. Offended by such a preposterous choice, the other colonies began to threaten to pull their resources out of the expedition, so Governor Lester was forced to support the consensus pick. Major John Winthrop Jr., a former British Army officer and son of the Connecticut governor. Governor Lester did manage to get his friend appointed commissary to the expedition. When the expedition began forming that summer, it was clear that none of the colonies were going to supply what they had pledged. Massachusetts, Plymouth, and Maryland never sent a single militiaman to fill their pledges. And when militia from Connecticut and New York, along with the Iroquois warriors, began arriving in Albany, it was just in time for an outbreak of smallpox, which removes most of them from serving in the expedition. Out of the 1,600 men pledged at the conference, the expedition managed to raise maybe 400. And even with a quarter of the men pledged, Lester's personally appointed commissary had not managed to requisition the needed supplies for even a 400-man expedition. The meager expedition arrived at the shores of Lake Champlain in early August 1690, when the Iroquois warriors informed them that they had arrived in the wrong season to strip birch trees to make canoes. Major Winthrop convened a council of officers, where they decided that given the situation, the lack of men, supplies, and canoes, they would just return to Albany. Upon the return of the expedition, Lester ordered the arrest of Major Winthrop for the crime of disobedience and cowardice. When the Connecticut militia started openly discussing breaking their major out of jail regardless of the violence necessary to do so, Major Winthrop was released. Governor Winthrop of Connecticut would chastise Governor Lester, saying, A prison is not a tool for all of the state's maladies, though it is a tool too much used by you. Thank you for listening to this episode of American Political History. If you want to support the show, please subscribe and leave a five-star rating, and share this show with someone you think would enjoy listening. Thank you again, and until next time.